Johnny Randall and I always had this hidden thing. We said, yeah, like, coming for Moss Carter and, and, you know, Robert Smith and whoever it might be, but they're going to get 93 and 24. And we always wanted to show out on those big days. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. It's another episode of Skull Stories presented by CenturyLink, the official communications provider of the Minnesota Vikings. I am your host, Mike Wabshaw, coming to you from TCO Studios inside the TCO Performance Center in Egan. Our guest tonight, former Viking safety, Robert Griffith. We are excited to share that conversation with you. Robert Griffith, a Vikings safety from 1994 to 2001, during which time he amassed over 1,000 tackles, 27 interceptions, was a two-time All-Pro and a one-time Pro Bowler. So we're excited to bring you our conversation with Robert Griffith in a moment. But first, I know you guys are in a good mood because your Minnesota Vikings coming off a big win over the green and gold, the Green Bay Packers, the border battle for 2018 finally settled after a tie in week two the Vikings get the edge with their win over the Packers in week 12 24 to 17 at U.S. Bank Stadium behind another great performance from quarterback Kirk Cousins another unstoppable performance from wide receivers Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and your Vikings defense continues to be on the improve, and they are ascending and ascending quickly after an uneven start to the season. The Vikings defense has rebounded, and they welcomed back Anthony Barr, and they looked as good as they've looked all season against Aaron Rodgers and company. Six of ten drives for the Packers, zero first down or one first down. Six out of those ten drives. So really good performance by the Minnesota Vikings. They are balling out right now. And you got even got some contributions from special teams. Marcus Sherrill's recovered a muffed punt and also had a 20-yard punt return that led to a touchdown. So good times right now for the Minnesota Vikings here at TCO Performance Center. Speaking of good times, Robert Griffith had plenty of good times as a member of the Vikings. We had a chance to catch up with Robert a couple of weeks ago. We're going to share that conversation with you right now on Skull Stories. One thing you run into when you talk to alumni players, some of them, and I, I tease, I like to tease them when I see them. Some of them look like they could still play. Like Robert <laughs> no. Griffith, we could get you out on the field. I bet Zim could find a place for you to play. No, no, man. <laughs> this, you don't, body, this body hurts a little too much for Okay, that. yeah. Well, that's because um, from what I understand, you know, I told Dennis Ryan that you were coming in. said I'm going to chat with Griff for a little bit uh, later today. And w- one of the first things he mentioned was, man, that guy could hit. Are you surprised that that's someone who knows you well, like Dennis Ryan? Are you surprised that that's one of the first things he said about you? Was that your reputation when you played? Most definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and I'm saying that because um, uh, Dennis had to, oh, man, I think uh, I bent 16 or 18 face masks one year. And mm-hmm. so I would I would bend them, I don't know, maybe every couple games. And and so uh, he knew exactly what, you know how I was throwing my body around, which is cool. Well, I broke down, and when we were introing you earlier, I, I said, you know, 13 NFL seasons. So that alone is impressive. Mm-hmm. But when you um, when you drill down and look even closer than just 13 seasons, you didn't miss games either. So you're throwing your body around. You're a physical player, and you like to hit. And you're saying now you're, you know, you're, you you can feel it now. But you did not miss games very often. You know, that was one of the big things for my my career. I worked out at San Diego State with a bunch of Olympians. Um, 
Oh my goodness! Everybody, women, Alice Brown, uh, mm-hmm. hurdlers, sprinters, and um, my coach was a uh, is Ron Sheffield. Uh, he's up at uh, UC Davis now, and and our thing was to just be as bulletproof as possible. Mm-hmm. So I ran every day. Uh, I lifted weights three days a week, and uh, sometimes four. And and it was really about just making that 190. I was about 192, 93 pounds most of my career, and it was just about making it as tight as and fast as possible. And yeah. Um, I think that, that the reason why I was healthy is because I was in shape. I was really in shape. At training camp, I got out of shape in training camp. And I really did the body maintenance things that um, really allow me to be, you know, the guy walking around feeling halfway decent now. Yeah. Did acupuncture. I, you know, we did chiropractor every week, twice a week. And so, you know, I kind of know how my body, you know, uh, worked and, you know, how to fuel it and definitely was in great shape. And I think that attributed to me, I, th- I missed 13 games okay. in 13 years. Yeah. And, and and so that that's um, impressive. But I, I want to point out, I believe in 01, you missed, you, you must have had a significant injury in 01. Broke my leg. Yes. Okay, there you go. You broke your leg. Because like from 94 to 2000, it was zero or one you know that right. you admit maybe two or three that you had missed total in that time right so you had a broken leg in in 01 okay yep never never it's just incredible i never forget that i was on kickoff opening you know matter of fact uh, every play i got injured on was on kickoff oh man yeah every play and yeah. so i was on kickoff i was a safety uh glenn milburn caught the ball and he was going to my right and the grass was long and i had these long spikes in and uh, I put it down. I went to go twist, and I high ankle sprained it into a, a yeah. fibula b- b- break. So that yeah. sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, so you said you know about one a season, but it really wasn't one a season. You had a bunch of sixteen for sixteens in there. So most con- Congratulations on that. Um, you said a lot of things already that I want to go back to. So I'm going to start with San Diego State. Yes, that's, that's where you went to school. Yes. San Diego State, and you were a walk on. I understand, and yes, you, you wind up becoming a three year starter. Pretty yes, impressive. indeed. Yeah, you know, um, I I was a late bloomer, one hundred percent. So mm-hmm. I graduated high school very early. I was, you know, just turning, just turned sixteen, and well, into my sixteenth year, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was underdeveloped. I was a pretty I good see. football player, but I didn't get a lot of scholarships anywhere. Uh, I got uh, Ithaca's and the Cal State Lutherans and mm-hmm. D two schools, and um, I noticed that a lot of kids from uh, my era we went to San Diego State and I saw some players that got scholarships and I noticed right away that like look I played I covered this kid I'm better than them. yeah I just felt like I belonged and they had my degree and so I walked on in school and I worked all these crazy jobs to play football and, and pay for school and so long to short after I broke my arm my, my second year, I missed two years of football. Mm-hmm. So I go four semesters. My third semester, I broke my arm. I tell my mom that I'm going to give it up and just work. And so somehow, miraculously, she came up with money for school. I went out there during spring football with this brace on my arm, and uh, and I was angry. Oh, my God, you guys. <laughs> I, I think it fueled the way that I played the yeah. NFL because I knew that it was um, not the anger but the aggression. And but I was angry that some of these kids that I knew that I was better players than were on full scholarships, and so uh, I played really, really well with a, a brace on my arm, and they gave me a scholarship, and yeah, uh, just gave me wings, man. From there on out, I you know did not look back. Yeah, and um, you know, sort of that whole 
overlooked or underrated thing continued even after being a three-year starter at SDSU you go undrafted okay yes so like every year during the draft Griff we we talk about you know the the players that get drafted and all that and then an article that we write or a video that we do for the website every single year is pay attention to who these undrafted free agents are that the team signs because mm-hmm. because some of them can matter like Mick Tinglehoff Hall of Famer right. undrafted and we go through all these guys and now Marcus Sherrills and Adam Thielen were undrafted guys who are now on our team and they're team. ballers so most definitely. Um, tell us about that what it was like to go undrafted and how that played into the early part of your career well you know it just furthered the the fact that I I knew I could play I mean I played good ball in college but I played this position I played you know, rover or monster back. People mm-hmm. call it a lot of different things, but essentially you're a will linebacker and two back set and you're a safety slash third corner on one back sets. Right. Okay. And so I, I had an opportunity to, to learn a lot of different skills. So I, I had to learn how to fit on the run with linebackers. Um, I had to go out and play nickel and cover fast little slot receivers um, I knew every part of, you know, the coverage aspect, um, you know, really from an inside, like as a linebacker and then as a safety and as a corner and as a, you know, nickel. And so I developed all these uh, Swiss Army knife kind of things, yep. exactly what a strong safety would do in NFL. They just didn't think that I was fast enough. So they saw me as an undersized will linebacker that wasn't big enough that, was also not fast enough or did not play enough deep safety. So they didn't get a look at me. So I went between the cracks. But I do have to add this bit of history. 1994 was the first year that we went down to seven rounds. Okay. So I did not get drafted because we went to seven rounds. But also a little bit of history is that it is the – the most heralded undrafted class in NFL history. Oh, so we really? had Kurt Warner, myself, yeah. Jeff Garcia, Rod Smith, yeah. um, DeMarco Farr yeah. was there. So we had a lot of guys that, you know, Hall of Famers and, you know, Pro Bowlers and wow. Rod Smith's all time receiving. So that was part of me, I think, mm-hmm. not getting drafted, even if it was like 10th round, 11th round, or whatever it might be. Okay, we have more coming up with Robert Griffith. We're going to ask him about the 1998 Vikings and the balance between offense and defense. That is coming up after the break. Hey, later this week, join host Mike Musman along with Andrew Sendejo at Woody's Bar and Grill in Bayport. That'll be Thursday night at 5.30 p.m. And it's a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. For the rest of our conversation with Robert Griffith, please stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back. Skull Stories continues here on FM 100.3 KFAN. Before we get to the rest of our conversation with Robert Griffith, I want to tell you about the Vikings Museum. Tis the football season, and what better place to spend the holidays with your Vikings family than at the Vikings Museum in Egan. Fans can learn the fascinating stories and insider details of the franchise throughout its over 50-year history in fun and unique ways at the Vikings Museum. Learn more at vikings.com museum. Learn more about Robert Griffith by listening to this. 
Well, I mean, you had over a thousand tackles. Do you know how many interceptions you had? I, uh, I got the number right here. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Like that? That's yeah. right. Two-time All-Pro. Yeah. Went mm-hmm. to a Pro Bowl. You were the Vikings Man of the Year in 2000. So, um, you know, you might have come in unheralded, um, you know, but but you certainly had a great career as a member of the Vikings. Now, one thing I want to ask you, the 1998 team, mm-hmm. I want to know, uh, because, you know, we talked to you in Canton this year uh, with Moss going in. And so oh, yeah. e- everyone knows the 98 team as being that the, the great offense, right? So was that chip on, on your guys' shoulder as a defense? 100%. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, Johnny Randall and I, before every game, and, you know, during those years we got three Monday nights and maybe even a Thanksgiving, uh, we always had this hidden thing. We said, yeah, like, coming for Moss Carter and, and, you know, Robert Smith and whoever it might be, but they're going to get 93 and 24. And yeah. we always wanted to show out on those big days. And um, I know Johnny did. I think I had a few of those good mm-hmm. day games too. But um, it was always one of those things that we, you know, there was we always needed a third or fourth guy that was really dominant to really get some respect. And we never got it. Yeah. What were, uh, do you remember any, any performances from that season, whether it was an individual one or you guys as a defense where it was like, that was impressive that we did that? Uh, you know, we some of the games that we won that were decided on a last minute third down, or yeah, you yeah. know, so we we beat Chicago last minute in that game at their place. Um, we dominated a Jacksonville team. I think it was fifty to three or something mm-hmm. at the end. Now that, that was a good game at home, but uh, personally, uh, the Cardinals game, so the divisional game, I guess the one before Atlanta. I had two interceptions, a bunch of tackles. Sure. I felt like I was a real difference in the outcome of the game, and that always feels good when yeah. you can be that guy. How would you stylistically, that 98 team, that, that defense, how would you describe it from a style standpoint? We were not built to um, just shut people down. We play well in spots, and I think that that was our claim to fame, claim to fame because we knew that we are going to score 28, 30 points, and so it was more of being good on third down, you know. Yeah. So we, we took the little wins, uh, and I, I think we expounded on them because we were always playing with the lead, and even when it got tight, we played good third, third down defense. And, you know, we had Johnny. Johnny got doubled every every play, mm-hmm. you know, and so we were playing nine on ten a lot of times, and yeah. so we, you know, we worked it out. Yeah. What do you think would have happened in the Super Bowl if you guys would have played Denver? You know, I get to ask that question a lot, and, you know, I have to say, objectively, it would have been a really tough game for us to win because we had so many guys on defense get hurt. So Johnny was out with the knee, Eddie Mack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we were down to, you know, uh, some of our uh, journeymen, I won't say journeymen, backup linebackers. Uh, Bobby Houston went out. So yeah. uh, it was Dwayne Rudd, myself, and Corey Fuller, we were the only starters in the game in the wow. fourth quarter. And I don't think people really remember that, but um, we would have went into the Super Bowl banged up. And so yeah. it would have been, it would have had to been a shootout for us to win it, I think. Would you have been healthy for the game? Oh, yeah. You were good to go? Oh, yeah, I was good to go. Yeah. Why did you wear, you wore jersey number 24, right? Mm-hmm. Why did you choose that number? Well, it's funny. My mom, a lot of people don't know, my mom played college ball. And so um, I never got a chance to really wear number four at practice, which I wanted to do here, but I did in Cleveland and Arizona. But so I got 24 because I couldn't wear four, and mm-hmm. it was kind of representative of giving, you know, uh, my mom her just due for helping me out in college. And just, you know, she's always just been kind of a quiet storm behind yeah. it. So 
That's why I wore 24. All right. Well, uh, and that's light. why I wore 34 when I went to uh, Arizona. So oh, I had really? to keep the four in there. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you after the Vikings, you, you played for Cleveland and Arizona. That's, yes. that's sort of where you finished. Did you play against the Vikings in any of those uh, games? You remember that? Oh, man, the first preseason game, I think, when I went to Cleveland was here in Minnesota. Okay. So I could, turned around, signed a couple months later, and right back. Yeah, isn't that how, that's how that works, you know? The visitor's locker room. It yeah. was, yeah. Yeah, pretty strange. Yeah. All right. Um, during your playing career, you had the Robert Griffith Foundation. And yes. I, are you still doing that? Yes, we okay, are. Because 20 was, years strong. That's awesome. At one point, and I don't know what the number is now, but, I mean, you were helping kids get to college, right? Still and, am. And 32, I believe. it Is it 32 or is it more than that now? 36, ca- 36, uh, okay. yes, 36 uh, college graduates we have. And so how did that begin for you? Why was that the way you went? You know, you can, you can help out a lot of different ways. Right. And a lot of people like to choose <clears throat> one way to specialize it. So what was that like for you? Well, I mean, I, it just goes back to... To how I, you know, I didn't have a scholarship going to school. And so when I did get that, immediately I got rid of the part-time job. I was able to be on a normal schedule, even though it was busy, um, just to be a regular student and play ball. And I, I just saw how I took off after that. Um, I was able to get my degree and I wanted to always make sure I can provide that opportunity for whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in 1998, <clears throat> we, you know, I started the foundation and so we partnered, and I did a lot of hustling, especially when I was a player at golf tournaments and you know fundraisers mm-hmm. in San Diego and places. And and so um, that model changed into really just being more of a businessman and having strategic partnerships. Where now I don't have to hustle as much; I just do deals and and give back to the foundation that yeah. way. So it's been working out. Now we had you yeah. uh, to TCO Performance mm-hmm. Center earlier, and. There was an awesome moment that I really, really enjoyed. I'm going to tell you about it. So we had we had Pete Bursich in there, who who's obviously the analyst for the Vikings Radio Network and mm-hmm. does work for the Vikings Entertainment Network during the week, including a film segment on Vikings game plan. You're in the studio observing, and you and Bursich are going back and forth watching the film. <laughs> yeah. Right? Do you remember that? Yeah. And, for for someone who loves the game of football, which I do, and I, I wish other people could have been been in there and experienced that breaking down the X's and O's, you and a former uh, teammate, another former player, um, that that still is at the core of you, isn't it? Yeah, that's where that's where all the magic lies because we, you know, we're um, we're analysts um, because we're really good. Um, uh, self-scout for one mm-hmm. that's what you have to do to be a good player you have to scout yourself are you deep enough in your drop and all that but then the true x's and o's hey this guy's getting his butt kicked right here this guy's supposed to be in that gap kind of stuff uh everybody has a different look at it mm-hmm. so when i'm talking to pete i know he's coming f- through the line stunts the fits and all that and he's getting into the wheels of it but then as soon as we expand out to the secondary now I'm going to give him some stuff that he probably wouldn't get. Like, yep. this guy's flat-footed here. He should be planting off his left foot, obviously, right? That kind of stuff. And so I like to listen to it all. And I think what you saw was us just, uh, even though it's been 20 years maybe, mm-hmm. um, going back to the X's and O's and just, you know, 
trying to make each other better, I guess. We'll, we'll yeah. see. And, and, you know, the game evolves and changes over time, mm-hmm. uh, but but some stuff is just nuts and bolts and it's the same, you know, and you can sit there and talk shop with an, with another guy. You know, Pete's a head coach of, of a local high school here, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and you obviously still know the game really well. So it was just really cool to be in the room at that moment, watch you guys go back oh, and man. forth. That's that's where that's where all the magic is yeah, right there. Yeah. Do you uh, do you stay close to the game? Do you watch SDSU? Do you do you watch Vikings games still? Or? I'm not a big college fan yeah. uh, because of the spread and you know some of the other stuff that's you know it's like seven on seven a little bit to mm-hmm. me. But um, I do watch the NFL game a lot. Yeah. Um, I you know the Vikings are still my team. I still root for them and um, but. I, I'm watching players and how they react to getting double teamed and, you know, how uh, like Andy Reid, what he's doing up in Kansas City with all that. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the opportunity that you can see how the game's changed and then the rules obviously make it a little less physical, less collisions. And so as a defender, I'm watching like a miracle catch, right? Stephon Diggs. That yeah. that play does not happen in my NFL. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's going to get hit. Something's going to happen. Right. But then you have this end, you know, indecision of a safety. And uh, so those are the kind of things I like to break down. It's just uh, games a lot different now. Very tough on the defender. Last thing I want to ask you, then we're going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer, Vikings head coach. He's a defensive minded guy. He likes aggressive, hard nosed football, just like yourself. What have you thought of Mike Zimmer's job here with the Vikings? Superb. Um, I think that he's done uh, a great job of. You know, having not only a contender, but just being uh, variable, different. You know, last year was a lot different than this year. And this mm-hmm. year they're finding other ways to win. Um, until somebody stops stealing, I mean, Jesus. I mm-hmm. mean, you know what I mean? Like, what do you do, right? But um, <laughs> Dalvin Cook goes down. We don't miss a beat. Uh, McKinnon, we lose McKinnon. Now we have, you know, we have Murray that's mm-hmm. stepping up on the third down. You know, so I think he's doing uh, – because he's a defensive coach, and I don't care what you say. If you're an offensive coach, you're going to be better on offense. If you're a defensive yeah. coach, you're going to be. That's just what you know. I think he's doing a good job of delegating and and being able to uh, keep things multivariable on offense and keeping the chains moving. I mean, Cousins is doing exactly what yeah. we thought he was going to do. Yeah, awesome, man. This was yeah. a fun chat. Thanks yeah. for stopping by and joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone, you have reached the end of this episode of Skull Stories, but fret not, another episode of Skull Stories coming to you next week on Tuesday night. Also, don't miss the rest of this fun week as we get ready to take on the New England Patriots, Vikings Patriots from Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. The game will be on Sunday, 325 Central Time kickoff. You can catch the game on the Vikings Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this episode of Skull Stories. This is Wabi signing off for now. Have a good evening, everyone. Yeah.